Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we will just tell you right now that we have had some technical difficulties in the recording studio today. So this may or may not impact when this episode comes out. Yeah. Or whether or not Maddie and I kill ourselves. Yes, pretty much. That's precisely what's (laughs) happening right now. We were also going to announce today that we might have like one less episode a month during the summer because we have a lot of things going on. My mom has a full-time job as a mother (laughs) and has too many kids. I have too many kids. Well, we have a lot going on. Everybody's out of school right now. We have some family drama going on. There's all sorts of craziness. Plus, we want to be able to hike at least a little bit this summer. Yeah. We're planning our next trip right now for our Patreon. So we just have a lot of stuff going on. So today we are bringing you the story of the Lost Dutchman's Mine. And we are going to be looking into the disappearances, and yes, there have been several, surrounding the Lost Dutchman's Mine. We're going to start off with a little bit of history, though, so that you guys have some context about the story for those of you who haven't heard of it. Have you heard of it, Maddie? Besides what you told me this morning. So the answer would be no, then. Mm. Well, the answer is yes, because I know a little bit about it because you told me about it. (laughs) I'm going to lie to our listeners. So apparently, Maddie didn't know about it before 10 minutes ago, but now she does, so she doesn't want to lie and say she didn't know about the story. Lies. I found out about it like an hour ago. That's not an hour ago that I came into your room and said, let's go record. Oh, fuck. I thought it was before. I thought you told me about it when we were going to start, before I went to Starbucks. (laughs) No? No. Well... Apparently your appendix also does nothing for your intelligence. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love you. Okay. You're going to hell. Here we go. This story is over 120 years old and arguably it's one of the best stories of hidden treasure to come out of the American West. It really does have everything. We've got mystery, murder, rumors of it being cursed, which might seem a little more believable once you've heard about all of the things that have happened here. Now, there are actually stories about the Lost Dutchman mine all over the place. There's one in Colorado. There's one in California. There's two in Arizona. But today we are talking about the one that is allegedly in the Superstition Mountains. Understood. So... The legend goes that in the 1870s, a German immigrant named Jacob Waltz befriended the heir of an old mining family, the Peraltas, who told Waltz of an abandoned but very rich gold mine in the Superstition Mountains. The mine was abandoned after suffering too many attacks from the local Apache tribes, and despite still containing loads of gold, no one had reclaimed it. This information would have been very interesting to a man like Jacob Waltz, who was a prospector by trade. And he had been living and working on the northern side of Superstition Mountain. There's also another version of the story where Jacob claims to just find the mine one day, but it's been 120 years, so hardly surprising that there are multiple versions of this story. Yeah. 
Good to note that before this, he had been fired from working at Vulture Mine near Wickenburg, Arizona for stealing gold. Good. So already Jacob is kind of a bit of a shady character. Or maybe he felt like the gold was owed to him. I don't know. Either way, by 1877, Waltz had teamed up with another man named Jacob Weisner. Because they're both called Jacob, we're going to refer to them as Waltz and Weisner, for clarity. It was around this time that people in Phoenix noticed that these two men were paying for all of their supplies with high-grade gold ore. And though this raised a lot of questions from people, the pair never stated where they got the gold from, and they never filed a claim on a mine. Since neither of them were actively working on an already claimed mine, it was thought that they had uncovered an old abandoned mine. A few years later, Weisner disappeared without a trace. And there's a few versions of what happened to Weisner. So it either been an accident or he had been attacked by Apaches or his partner, Waltz, had killed him and kept all the gold for himself. I would say that's probably the most likely of the three. Yes. Personally. After Weisner's death, Waltz would still show up in Phoenix frequently to buy his supplies with gold that he had mined. Disaster did strike at Waltz, though, as in the early 1890s, his home near the Salt River was flooded and all the gold was washed away with it. Waltz was also caught in this flood and ended up catching pneumonia. He was nursed by his neighbor, Julia Thomas, and it is widely believed that he may have made a deathbed confession to her describing how to find the mine. So now that leaves this mine out there that people believe there is still gold in. Yeah. So if nothing else, it's a good campfire story. We don't know that this mine even exists. We have no proof that it's ever actually been there. But like with most things that happen that long ago, most people think that this story is just a story. But there are quite a few people who think that this legend might actually have some truth to it. So let's talk about Arizona. The Superstition Mountains lie about 40 miles east of Phoenix and really dominate the landscape. They're beautiful, actually, yeah. These mountains are the biggest mountain range in this part of the state. Mm -hmm. And they rise steeply from the desert to heights around 5,000 feet and are characterized by their jagged, sheer-sided volcanic peaks. Between the peaks are canyons and boulder fields, and at lower elevations, they are covered in cactus. Um, the superstitions actually got their name from all the myths and legends which were told about them by the local native tribes. A large section of the mountain range is located within the Tonto National Park. And the rest is classified as superstition wilderness area. So for referring to any of these later, don't be confused. It's all roughly the same area. So Adolf Ruth was 66 years old. And this was a man from Washington, D.C. He was also a bit of an amateur treasure hunter. What treasure hunter isn't an amateur? I'm sure there's like professional treasure hunters out there. You think so? I'm sure there is. I kind of want to be a professional treasure hunter. Will somebody pay me to do that? 
I want to find the Israel Keys buckets. Some treasure. Okay, that would be, come on. That would be so cool. Really? It would be. But I wouldn't call it treasure. It's definitely treasure. It's definitely not it treasure. <laughs> not treasure. And then I also want to like find a shipwreck. That'd be really cool. A shipwreck? Yeah. In the water? Yeah, like an old shipwreck that's full of gold. Come on. Tell me that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> How many shipwrecks full of gold are you planning on coming across? I think I think one would do. Scuba diving? I don't need more are than you one. Are you scuba diving? You'd have to scuba dive, yes. <laughs> You're going to become a scuba diver? Yep. If somebody's going to pay me to do it. <laughs> you need more qualifications than... Treasure hunting is basically his hobby. He'd go and look for lost mines. He actually almost died while looking for a mine in California in 1919 when he fell and broke his hip. The injury had to be set with pins, and he walked with a cane after that. Ironically, while Adolf was in the hospital, his son Erwin was given some antique maps of the Superstition Mountains on which were confirmed locations to the Peralta mines, as well as additional markings of other unknown mines. Irwin passed the maps on to his father, who became fascinated with the idea of locating the mine of the lost Dutchman. So hoping that one of these unmarked mi- or one of these unnamed markings was the lost Dutchman mine. Gotcha. Because... Two of them turned out to be actual mines, and then the rest were not. So, see, if we were treasure hunters, we could take a map like this and go check locations and find a gold mine. Now, Adolf traveled from Washington to Arizona, despite his wife and his sons trying to discourage him. He arrived in Phoenix around May of 1931, where he stayed for a few days at a ranch owned by Tex Barkley. Fun fact, Tex Barkley was not actually from Texas. He was from Tennessee. Tex frequently offered somewhere to stay for aspiring prospectors for cheap rates. Even Tex was trying to convince Adolf that it wasn't a good idea to go looking for the mine. Like many people who encountered Adolf, he was worried about the 66-year-old man with his limp and his cane... Not to mention, he was only about 5'3 and no more than 125 pounds. He would also frequently get lost while navigating the ranch, especially at night. (laughs) No, Adolf, stay home. But Adolf was insistent, and eventually Tex agreed to take him into the mountains, but only after he moved some of his cattle. Thinking the matter was settled, Tex set off to move his cattle on June 12th. But instead of waiting for Tex to return... Adolf set off within hours of Tex leaving. He drove to a camp on the ranch beneath the northwestern palisade of the mountains, and there he met two cowboys turned prospectors, Leroy Purnell and Jack Keenan. Apparently, Adolf persuaded the two men to take him into the mountains by offering them his car to use and some gold when he found the mine. This seems like a really good idea. Yeah. 
Also, he um, threatened to walk there by himself if they didn't help. Can you imagine this, like, little 66-year-old man with his cane and, like... God. No. Okay, so the next morning, after one of the men returned to camp with supplies, the trio set off to Willow Springs via West Boulder Canyon. When the trio arrived, Purnell and Keenan helped Adolf set up his camp before leaving him with the agreement to return in a few days to replenish his supplies. So, so far they've held up their end of the agreement, right? They've gotten him to his camp, they've set him up with supplies, and they're going to come back and resupply him later. So, four days later, on June 17th, Tex Barkley returned to the ranch to find that Adolf had left. He ordered Parnell and Keenan to go get Adolf back out of the mountains immediately. <laughs> Adolf turned out to be nowhere Nowhere to be found. Yeah. So the ranch started their own search for him. And then around day three or four, they contacted the police. Yep. On June 25th, the deputy sheriff of Pinnell County mounted a search in the Superstition Mountains, and Adolf's disappearance made national news. So the searchers were up against rough terrain and extreme conditions with temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I do think that searching in the heat is way worse than searching in the cold. Oh, yeah. I would rather be searching in the snow, honestly. I would die. Death. Erwin yeah. Ruth, the son we mentioned earlier, arrived in the area on June 30 and hired a pilot to fly over the area and insisted that he accompany Tex Barkley and Jeff Adams, the sheriff's deputy, for one last search. And while searching, they found evidence that Adolf had been in the area. There were scraps of tissue paper and brown paper, which had been used to wrap Adolf's food, as well as a handkerchief, which was stuck in a bush as a form of marker. But there was no sign of Adolf anywhere. After the search was called off, Irwin said, There are no hopes to be entertained of discovering my father dead or alive. When asked what he thought happened, Irwin speculated that his elderly father had fallen down a narrow crevice, which is what happened when he broke his hip, by the way, the first time, or that he was murdered for the map and buried somewhere. Because remember, he had this map with him mm -hmm. that they did not recover. So, on December 11th, 1931, a human skull was discovered by a team of archaeologists when one of their dogs ran off. So, it was situated under a Palo Verde tree just north of Bluff Springs Canyon. And it was very clearly recent. Yeah, it was described as having the smell of decomposition and still having bits of skin attached. It was also noted that there was a hole on either side of the skull. Alarmed by this discovery, the skull was taken back to Phoenix, where it was theorized that it could be the skull of Adolf Ruth. The skull was sent off for examination and was confirmed to be his by dental records. Two pathologists who also examined the skull claimed that the two holes were likely bullet entry and exit wounds. 
The search for the rest of the remains began in earnest, and Tex Barkley and Jeff Adams once again set out amongst a group of others to locate the rest of Adolf Ruth. And on January 8th of 1932, they located more partial remains scattered several hundred feet up the side of Blacktop Mountain. And this is roughly three quarters of a mile from where the skull had been found. Animal activity had caused some bones to be missing, as well as his clothing to be damaged. But the rest of his belongings were in relatively good shape. Found alongside Adolf's body were his watch, his wallet, an empty thermos, his gun, which was unfired, a working flashlight, and an intact medicine kit. Not found was the 1919 historic map given to him by his son. So the coroner ruled the death as exposure to elements, claiming there were no grounds to believe that the death was suspicious. So when he was asked about the bullet hole, he claimed that it would have been post-mortem damage from scavenging animals. I think that there is a very big difference between a bullet hole through the skull and holes made by scavenging animals. And you would think that a pathologist would be able to tell the difference, no? Oh, um, nah, man. It's a pretty big hole. Let me see. It doesn't really look like a bullet hole. I mean, I don't know what the stats are as far as how many skulls are found with holes in them. Especially, like, a hole on each side. So, I don't know about that. So, that looks like it's one side of his skull. Okay. And this is the hole on the other side. So, I mean, it is holes, but they definitely don't look like bullet holes. Yeah, they're not, like, small little holes, you guys. No, they're, they're like, like, pretty big. Like, but... Where is the map? No, exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. And it could have been blunt force trauma, too. He could have yeah. been smashed in the head with a he, rock. But he also could have fallen. Exactly. Either way, his death drew so much media attention that it really lit the spark for the Lost Dutchman mind story to become the tale that it is today. And then we're going to fast forward a little bit to about 10 years after Adolf's remains were found when James A. Cravey, a retired photographer, had what he described as a vision telling him where to find the lost Dutchman mine. That's another way we can earn our money. We can start having visions about where treasure is. He told his friends, who, much like the family of Adolf Ruth, discouraged him from trying to find the mine because James was 62 years old and disabled with little to no use of his right arm and had a problem with his left leg. I'm going to go ahead and say, James, that it's a really bad idea for you to go out there. So ignoring his friends, James hired Mr. Edwin Montgomery, who was the president of Southern Texas Airways, a small company operating helicopters, and he paid him to fly into the Superstition Mountains to a sandbar located in Bar Canyon, and this was only a few miles from where Adolf had camped. According to Edwin Montgomery, this was not uncommon. And it was common to drop prospectors off in the wilderness and then pick them up after a week or so. So he agreed to take James out there. So July 16, 1947, Edwin picks up James in a helicopter along with two weeks worth of food. 
and water. And he drops them at the site, which James had seen in his vision. Naturally. The two men unloaded the helicopter, and Edwin flew back to Phoenix with instructions to return in just over two weeks' time. Now, on August 2nd, the pickup date, Edwin flies the helicopter back into the mountains to pick up James. But he can't find him. The cache of supplies which he had helped James to unpack is secured under a tarp and didn't look like it had been touched. Concerned, Edwin conducts a small search of the surrounding canyons in his helicopter, but sees no trace of James. And fearing that something bad had happened, Edwin flies back to Phoenix and alerts the police. The Pinnell County sheriffs conduct an air and ground search, but find no sign of James either. On investigation of the supplies left at the cash site, the police conclude that James had taken two gallons of water and enough food for two days, as well as his pickaxe, shovel, and a rifle. So maybe going from this spot to do a little exploring and then planning on coming, like this is his camp Mm -hmm. or his base camp, and then he's going to go hike out and do searches would be my guess. On August 6th, authorities bring in bloodhounds and try to pick up a scent trail, which they do easily. The searchers and dogs follow the trail for around three hours until they began to stumble across discarded items that belonged to James. Mm -hmm. First, they find his bedroll thrown away down a slope, then his rucksack with food still inside, and then finally a canteen, which was almost full too. Is this all down a slope? Yeah, it's like down a trail slope, kind of. So he looks like he fell. Maybe, yeah. Or it's running. So the dogs continued around 50 feet down the trail before losing the scent. Yeah, and for nine months, no other sign of James is found. Which is crazy, because you think you find this much of his belongings. He's got to be in the vicinity, right? Then in February of 1947... Two hikers find a headless skeleton of a man down a narrow canyon. They are able to access the body and bring the wallet up with identification in it. Back with them to Phoenix and they take it to the police. And the wallet belonged to James A. Cravey. The day after, on an expedition to collect James's remains, two sheriff's officers and two hikers find the missing skull at the head of the canyon where the body was found. And this is roughly 2.5 miles from Weaver's Nettle. So he fell into a canyon, but first he lost his stuff. I mean, he probably had his like backpack on and was like rolling down the hill or something. I mean, I don't know if the canyon's at the bottom of the hill. I don't know. It doesn't, it didn't really say exactly where it was. So, I mean, case kind of closed on that one. Also bothers me that his head is separated from his body. I don't like that. Again? Yeah. So Joseph Kelly, a 25-year-old man from Dayton, Ohio, set out on the 7th of March, 1951, in search of, you guessed it, Dutchman Mines. Mm -hmm. He arrived in Mesa, Arizona on March 5th and told the owners of the motel that he was staying and that he was going to search for the lost mine. So at the hotel, Mrs. Baker reportedly warned Joseph against going with his plan. Maybe people should start listening to the locals. <laughs> they might know what they're talking but about. he ignored her warning. 
And on March 6th, he had sold his car to buy camping equipment and a gun. When buying the gun, he was advised on how to use it by the store's owner. Good idea. So he doesn't know how to use a gun. (sighs) He left a note in his motel room explaining that he had gone to the mountains and if he had not returned in 10 days to notify his wife. Oh, my God. The motel owner notified Arizona Highway Patrol about the man four days later, and they contacted the Maricopa and Pinnell County Sheriff's offices. So he didn't even wait 10 days. (laughs) He finds this note in the man's room, and he's like, oh, fuck, I'm just going to call the police now. (laughs) Yeah. Smart call. So the official search for Joseph began on March 24th with police issuing an appeal for any witnesses. They gave the following description of Joseph. 160 pounds, brown hair, blue eyes, 5 foot 11. He's believed to be wearing a red checkered sports jacket. So police were reluctant to begin the search for Joseph in the 50 square mile radius that he would be in because of the dangerous terrain that is out there. Right. And narrowing down that area would be difficult to do. 50 miles, uh, 50 square miles is a long, like, not, for searching. Not only that, but all of these stupid people keep coming in trying to find this stupid mine and then they're having to spend all of these resources. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds you of the one guy that has the bus out in Alaska. Yes. And they had to airlift the bus out of there because stupid people kept killing themselves trying to get to it. And I'm sure that locals in this area feel the same way as the locals that were in Alaska that were like, stop coming out here. Stop looking for this. By March 27, the search had been called off after no new leads were found. And Sheriff Lynn Early said, if anything appears to justify any further searching, we will go ahead. We don't figure not there is too much likelihood of the fellow being lost. So basically they figure he's not just lost. He's probably perished out there. And if any new information comes to light, they will go search. But Joseph Kelly has never been seen or heard from since. He's just gone. Just one year after Joseph Kelly vanished without a trace, two 18-year-old boys from California... Ross Blay and Charles Harshbarger vanished while camping looking for the lost mine and they were never seen again. On March 27 of 1964, newspaper reports of the skeletal remains of a missing hermit, Jayas J. Clapp, were found sun-bleached and scattered by animals off of Boulder Canyon in the Superstition Mountains. Jay had not been seen or heard from since 1961. So he'd been missing for like three years when they found his skeleton. He was originally from Kansas and Jay studied at the University of Oklahoma. It was while in the university that Jay got into astronomy and subsequently into astrology. Jay arrived in Apache Junction in 1951 with the hope that he could find a place where he could live in harmony with nature. He ended up living in caves near the first water ranch for 10 years. He didn't use technology as he believed that everybody's lives would be destroyed by it. You're not far from the truth, (laughs) Jay. He was a loner, but he would stay in semi-regular contact with his mother. 
When she didn't hear from him in 1961, she put out numerous ads in newspapers all over the country looking for him, but they turned up nothing. The remains found were difficult to access, but once removed, the coroner concluded that Jay had died an accidental death, though much like Adolf and James, the skull was missing from the body and has not been found. There are no links to Jay and the Dutchman mine aside from the location of his body or any concrete evidence for why or how he actually died. It remains to this day another mystery tied to the area. More recently, in 2009, 35-year-old Jesse Caper from Denver traveled out into the superstition wilderness and didn't come back. Jesse had been dreaming of finding the Dutchman's mine for almost 12 years. He had been described by those who knew him as obsessed by the legend and had many books and maps on the subject, as well as having made at least two shorter trips out to the area before he set out for his fateful expedition. He began saving up enough money and vacation time to take an entire month off of work. He traded in his car for a Jeep and traveled down to Arizona to begin his search for the mine. Before he left home, he told his mom he would try to call her, but he never did. So shortly before Thanksgiving, Jesse packed his month worth of supplies and set out on the 15-hour long drive. He told his mom that he'd be home before Christmas and that he would try to call along the way. He booked himself a room at the Apache Junction Motel. Is Didn't someone else use the Apache uh-huh. Junction Motel? Uh-huh. Hmm. Probably the most convenient motel, but still suspicious to use as a base to store his supplies. And planned on making four day-long trips into the mountains at a time before returning to his motel to replenish his supplies. Right, so he would only have to carry four days' worth of supplies at a time. Yeah. After setting out, Jesse did not return to his motel room at all. After two weeks, the police were notified and could find no trace of him after he went into the mountains. So he didn't even make it back from one expedition. A hiker found Jesse's Jeep and his campsite on December 20 near the old Tortilla Ranch. The Maricopa County Sheriff went to investigate the campsite and discovered Jesse's personal belongings, including his wallet, cell phone, food, and water left behind inside the tent. The authorities estimated that the site had been abandoned for 8 to 10 days by that point. Search and rescue teams, along with search dogs, were deployed, but no trace of Jesse was found. For months, smaller-scale searches continued with no results. I think something doesn't want these people in the Superstition Mountains. Yeah, it's the Campbells. (sighs) Okay. Three years passed, and then in 2012, on the 14th of November, a day pack containing Jesse's GPS equipment, a camera, and his driver's license were discovered by Superstition Search and Rescue. It was located in the southern portion of the Superstition Mountains, 60 miles east of Phoenix, on 4,892-foot Tortilla Mountain, so near where his campsite was. And by the way, I always put my driver's license in my backpack when I hike. So then they know who you are when you die. Or they know my pack if it is separated from me. Mm -hmm. 
So quickly after discovering the day pack, searchers spotted a boot on a steep terrain above the pack that led them to discover Jesse's skeletal remains wedged inside a 180-foot-deep inaccessible crevice. The remains were recovered with helicopter. His death was ruled accidental due to fall. His remains were less than half a mile from his campsite. Uh, I, I hope that he died during the fall and wasn't just trapped in there. That would... Fuck. So, Jesse's mother believes that he died while hiking back to camp on his first night in the mountains. Which sounds about right based on the supplies that they found and whatnot. Finally, in a situation all too close to Jesse's disappearance, three men went hiking into the Superstition Mountains in July of 2010. Bro, the Dutchman does not want to be found. Stop (sighs) fucking looking for him. And they hike in to look for the Dutchman's lost mine. The trio were led by Curtis Merworth, a 49-year-old man from Utah. Curtis was fascinated with buried treasure, and after acquiring a treasure map that allegedly had the location of the lost mine, he had traveled to the area previously. Oh my god, if I lived in that area, I'd be selling these maps for like hundreds right? of dollars. No just shit. Like- he had been to the area previously, but had to be rescued when he got lost and called for help, and he was hospitalized for dehydration. So he's basically leading this trio now as somebody who already went in and got lost. Yep. But he's got the map. They have to follow him, right? They're 49, 47, and 66. This is a great idea. (laughs) So on his second trip, Curtis took his friend Malcolm Meeks, age 47, and Arden Charles, age 66. The trio traveled from Utah to Arizona with sleeping bags, six jugs of water, and some food. They planned to camp out and sleep in the car. None of them brought a cell phone, and authorities described them as woefully underprepared for the planned three-day excursion. The temperatures were in triple digits, and two of the three men were reported to have medical conditions. Oh, my God. What are you guys doing? Sounds Also, your leader already had to be rescued. Do not follow him. And remember, hiking in the heat. Triple digits, so bad. not I know. a good idea. Just don't go hiking I when know. it's over 100 degrees. I like, know. we've been there, we've done that. It was fucking rough, and it wasn't even like desert heat that we were in. Right. It's rough. Now, after they failed to return home, Maricopa County and Pennell County Search and Rescue made 20 search attempts to locate the missing hikers in the weeks following the disappearance with the use of helicopters and ground searchers, but turned up nothing. They're probably like, again, another one. Another one? I know, fuck. Obviously, the Flying Dutchman does not want to be found. (laughs) Leave his mine alone. Leave his gold alone. He's sitting in there with Davy Jones' locker. Leave him alone. And he's waiting for Maddie and I to come find him when we find a sponsor to pay us full-time to be treasure hunters. I hope someone gets all my SpongeBob references that I've just... I know, right? In early 2011, the skeletal remains of two men were found by a hiker, and they were believed to be those of Malcolm Meeks and Arden Charles, which was later confirmed through DNA testing. It appeared that the men had gotten lost and died of natural causes. 
A week later, a third body was found tucked under a tree in the shade, a wallet containing the ID for Curtis Mearworth was found nearby. So they were found. It just took a while and they literally just got lost. They didn't even have cell phones. I was hoping that there was going to be a statistic for how many like dead bodies were found without their Heads. skull attached. I know. It seems like a lot. But... But there's a lot of vulture-type scavengers in the desert, so that could contribute to skulls being not found with the bodies, I feel like. So the predators of this area include coyotes, black bears, mountain lions, three different types of foxes, lynxes, and ocelots. Okay, so lots of things that could... You may even get a glimpse of the rare Mexican wolf, a species of the gray wolf, or a jaguar. All right. Black bears are also seen. So lots of things, and that doesn't even include the vulture birds. Birds. Yeah. That doesn't even include, I would th- like... I would think that that would contribute a lot to these... Oh my God, have you seen vultures go crazy on a yeah. body before? Gross. Anyway, that is the story of the Lost Dutchman's Mine and some of the deaths and disappearances associated with it. The sad thing is, is that we still don't even know if the mine ever existed in the first place. I think it's out there. Honestly, maybe. It sounds like the MK of... Yeah. I think it's out there. I want to go find it. I just... I think the the one guy, the original guy that kept coming back with all the gold, he had to be getting that from somewhere. You know? No, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that is the story. Hopefully everybody enjoyed Maddie's uh, Spongebob references on that one. They were pretty amazing. And yeah, let us know what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening. Please come and check us out on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. We have merch in the link in our Instagram bio. Along with our Patreon link. So please go and check that out. Come and support us. You Go check out amazing. our hiking with Hannah. It's newish. Yeah, I I just posted it on Wednesday. It's brand new. <laughs> I don't know when anything comes out. I have no sense of time. I, I have yeah. So we did just post our hiking with Hannah, where we took my sister, who's not a hiker, into the woods for an overnight hike, and we tried not to kill her. And it is fucking hilarious. Yep. So she has a very large backpack. It was rough. It is pretty funny. (laughs) So yeah, go and check that out. We have a ton of extra episodes too. So while our summer might be running a little light, there's plenty more to listen to there. Yes. So sorry. We're sorry. So sorry. But we love you guys. We have lives outside of this podcast. I know. We love you guys though and we really appreciate you. They may be sad lives, (laughs) but they are lives. Uh, All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Again, if anybody would like to pay us to be full-time treasure hunters, we will split all findings with you.
Or you can have 70%. We'll take 30% because you are paying us like a job. Does that sound fair? Wait, we're not just going to get paid in treasure? Well, no. I need somebody to pay me a full-time salary wage so that I don't have to do anything else while I'm out treasure hunting. Are you not listening to my plan? (laughs) I feel like your plan has some holes in it. So, (laughs) you are very negative today. Where is your uh, intel for these treasure locations going to come from well they're out there we just have to find them i mean this guy got a fucking map from his son somebody we know has a map with markings on it i'm sure it could be fun yeah i feel like you are not i feel like normally you would be on board for something like this and i feel like you are not i feel like you right now dude my stomach is i'm dying over here i am nobody wants to hear about your stomach problems fighting for my life today is this what it feels like when you come up with ideas and I'm like, okay, Madison. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This is exactly how you feel. Okay, fine. Madison does not want to be a part of the new full-time paid treasure hunting company that I'm going to be starting. So my partner position is now available if anybody else is interested. You're and Maddie will get zero amounts of the gold. <laughs> And then I need to use the fucking bathroom. I was just going to say, it was really nice to just now eat my peach that I ate and have my stomach not hurt. Oh my God, stop. I can feel my <laughs> appendix turning, like, grumbling in there. Like Your appendix is grumbling? Yeah, I'm just going to turn all my food into diarrhea. It's trying to flush my system. <laughs> it's trying to kill me. I don't think that's the way it works. Uh... Anyway, Is that Maddie, not what your appendix does. Well, I don't have an appendix, so well, yeah. I still <laughs> that obviously. Loser. Yeah, I thought. I'm pretty sure that they thought the uh, appendix. I'm looking that up. Oh my god. Um, because they thought it didn't do anything. Hey Siri, what does your appendix do? I don't need to say Siri. I'm just talking to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Already with the day. Yeah, it reboots the digestive system. Okay, so what happens to people like me that don't have one? My digestive system. Well, I guess it's like a some experts believe this, and other appendix other experts believe. So normally, the appendix sits in the lower right abdomen. The function of the appendix is unknown. One of the theories is that the appendix acts as a storehouse for the good bacteria, rebooting the digestive system after diarrheal illness. Interesting. Other experts believe the appendix is just a useless remnant from our evolutionary past. I'm going with option number two because I don't have an appendix and I feel like my digestive system does a lot better than yours. And you still have your appendix, so shouldn't your good bacteria in your appendix be resetting your (laughs) digestive system? Well, I originally heard that it like flushes your system, so I don't actually know. I'm going to call bullshit on all that. It's useless. Let's not try to find a need for the appendix. Why would it rupture? Because it it has no purpose. It just has no purpose? Yeah, our body doesn't need it, so our body like probably attacks it or thinks it's an enemy because it's not something that's necessary. And I would say the people whose appendix rupture, young especially, their bodies are smarter (laughs) than people whose don't. 
because they're like, get this thing out of here. It doesn't belong. And then there's other people who just like, their bodies are lazy and they just let it live in there forever. I don't know, man. I'm more evolved than you are. No, you're not. Some <laughs> shitty doctors just took your appendix out because that's what they thought was wrong with you. I'd probably still have it today. No, you definitely would still have it today. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, your doctor doesn't know everything. You're, yeah, if your doctor insists that you do an unnecessary surgery and you're pretty sure it's unnecessary, but they bully you into it anyway, just say no. <laughs> Just don't do it. Because the newsflash, when my mom got her appendix out, the problems did not stop. It was not my appendix. That was not the problem. And I was seven months pregnant with Madison at the time. So just say no. Your doctor doesn't know shit. Anyway. So Maddie made the poor decision today to go and get McDonald's for some reason. Seemed like a good idea. I don't know. Yeah, I did at the time. It's not seeming like a good idea right now, though. No, because I'm literally about to shit myself. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get started on this recording because it's probably going to get interrupted by Maddie's trips to the bathroom. The story of the Dutchman's mind is... The law. That's the Flying Dutchman. What? The Flying Dutchman from uh, Spongebob. There's a Flying Dutchman in Spongebob? Yeah. We are not telling the story of the Flying Dutchman from Spongebob right now. Is that his name? I don't know. I do I do watch Spongebob a lot, though, with Phoenix. But I don't usually pay attention. Usually I'm, like, doing something, but I'm sitting there watching cartoons with her. I think it's really funny that Phoenix is literally cleaning everything right now. She's doing chores. She wants to buy this weird plant that's really expensive. And so Shed gave her a list of chores and said that he would pay her... A certain amount for each chore. So she's been doing chores online. That's funny. It's a $50 plant that she wants. What plant is it? It's this really like creepy weird looking one that has like all these spiky things on it. But she's like obsessed with it. She asks for it every time we go to the plant store. And I'm like, I'm not buying you a $50 plant. I won't even buy myself a $50 plant. Like, no. Phoenix is not the type of kid that asks for things either. She's not. Well, and I think that's why she was given the chore list. Like, it's a strange thing for her to ask for something. So it's hard for me to say no to her because she never asks for anything. So when she wants this $50 plant, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Tell Dad you want the $50 plant because I'm out on that one. Yeah. Yep. 